I would like to ask you, if you would, to take out your Bibles or your phones or your iPads or your tablets, whatever instrument you have that has the Word of God in it. And uh, we are going to uh, start this morning examining what we began last week, and that is this amazing little epistle, little book uh, called First John. Uh, last week we talked about three major themes, and that is that there will be an invitation into life, an invitation into light, that's today, and an invitation into love. And so I would uh, just encourage you to follow along, and here's another thing I'd like to do, here's an assignment for you. Uh, I'd like to uh, ask you to read First John. Um, each week, read one chapter. Uh, actually, each day, read the same chapter. So this coming week, uh, read chapter two every day. And the following week, and in five weeks, we will have uh, read through the entire book of First John. So, uh, so if you'll open your Bibles now and uh, turn to First John chapter one. Last week, uh, John invited us into, he used two phrases, the word of life and eternal life. And both of those entities, he said, have the name Jesus. The word of life is Jesus and eternal life is Jesus. And he invited us into uh, that eternal life that is more than a future promise. Uh, but it's a reality. It's a life that is more than just a theological premise, but a life, an eternal life, that is accessible now, right? It can be felt, it can be heard, it can be known, it can be experienced now. And we do this in partnership with the Father. And that word uh, fellowship is koinonia, which means to be involved in, to be around. And the Hebrew word that's similar to that is what I introduced earlier, hesed. To want joy and peace and love for another person and be willing to live into that. In other words, to help that person experience that love, joy, and peace. So this is the, uh, the thing that we are called into partnership with this koinonia, fellowship with God and with each other. This is the vine branch kind of relationship where we're receiving life from the vine and that life is in us and we pass that on to the fruit, right? So that is what we're looking at. So today, we're looking at an invitation into light. And our text for today is 1 John chapter 1, verse 5, continuing through chapter 2, verse 2. So I'd like to read that to you. We'll put that up on the screen if you don't have your Bibles with you. And uh, this is, I'll be reading from the New Living Translation. And uh, this is the Word of God for the people of God at Grace Community Church. This is the message we heard from Jesus. And now declare to you, John says, God is light and there is no darkness in him at all. So we are lying if we say we have fellowship with God, but go on living in spiritual darkness. We are not practicing the truth. But if we are living in the light as God is in the light, then we have fellowship with each other. And the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. If we claim we have no sin, we are fooling ourselves and not living in the truth. And then verse 9, which you all know, your favorite verse in the Bible, okay? It's for all of us, right? But if we confess 
Uh, excuse me, let me, read, let me get done tonight. But if we confess our sins to him, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all wickedness. Verse 10, if we claim we have not sinned, we are calling God a liar and showing that his word has no place in our hearts. My dear children, John writes, I'm writing this to you so that you will not sin. But if anyone does sin, we have an advocate who pleads our case before the Father. Isn't that beautiful? He is Jesus Christ, the one who is truly righteous. He himself is the sacrifice that atones for our sins, and not only our sins, but the sins of all the world. So have you ever felt yourself hiding in the darkness? Kind of stepping off into the shadows? Not really revealing who you are or what you believe or what you've done? Have you ever been in that kind of darkness in your life? Of course we all have. Well, there's a, a, a classic movie. Uh, most of you know it. Beauty and the Beast, circa two, 2000, uh, 2017. And in this movie, the beast is kind of finding some light. And that light is in this girl named Belle. And he's falling in love and he quite doesn't know what to do. And all his life he's spent in the shadows. All his life he's spent in the darkness. Because he's grotesque. Because he's ugly. Because nobody wants to see him. Well, I want to show you a video clip. Uh, it's uh, Dan Stevens, who's the singer and the actor, uh, sings the song Evermore. And in this, you see the beast kind of trying to move from the shadows into the light and back into the shadows. And I just want to see if you can relate to what he's experiencing. So let's take a look. First of all, don't you want a voice like that? I mean, come on, it's amazing. There is something about being in the shadows. Um, one of the phrases he uses is, I curse the fading of the light. I mean, this young girl is bringing light into his life, and he's not quite sure what to do with it. He'd rather be in the tower where it's dark, but somehow, some way, he feels like he has to step out from the darkness into the light. That's what John was talking about so many years ago, about stepping out from darkness, darkness that we've built for ourselves, darkness that is in our own lives, and to step out from that and to step into the light of God. And when you look at the text, you look at the text even verse by verse. Verse 5 says, this is the message we heard from Jesus and now declare to you, God is light and there is no darkness in him at all. None. No illusion, no trickery, no shadows, no pretense. Darkness keeps us from this experiencing fellowship with God and with each other. You read that in verse 6. We are, so we are lying if we say we have fellowship with God, but go on living in spiritual darkness. It's very difficult to have fellowship with God, and it's very difficult to have has said fellowship, koinonia, with each other. I told you a few weeks ago about uh, a man who was my sixth grade Sunday school teacher. His name was Harry Lillibridge. And Harry, every Sunday was there and faithfully taught these sixth grade boys. There were six of us. And, uh, and boy, I, I learned a lot about God and about Jesus from him. And I just really had a warm feeling towards Harry. None of us realized till we were adults that Harry spent his entire life living in the shadows, living in the darkness. Uh, he was a closet alcoholic. He would go from church and he would drink until he would be sober on Monday, go to work, but every night come home 
drink until he passed out and do that over and over and over again. And many years later, when I was the pastor at Mount McGill Covenant Church, I read in the paper that he was having his funeral in the Oklahoma Valley Mortuary. I said to Sherry, I said, I need to go. I know Harry lived this kind of shadowy life, but I have to go. And I went and, well, I was the only one there. No one else showed up. All of us have these places in our lives that are shadows, that are dark. And John is encouraging us when we step into the light of Jesus, when we step into the light of God, that that darkness goes away. I mean, no hiding. Don't be closed or covered or concealed. Like the beast was always in the shadows. Half-truths, inflated lives. We redefine the truth, but sin keeps us hiding. So one of the stories that you're very familiar with in Genesis chapter 3 was Adam and Eve, after they sinned, they ate of the fruit that God said not to. They discovered all of a sudden they're naked. Before that, they didn't know because there was no sin. There was no thought of that. And now they're naked. And the Bible says very clearly in chapter 3, verse 8 of Genesis that um, uh, they hid from God. Now that's not almost, that is hilarious. (laughs) They hid from God. And God played along with that. God said, uh, where are you? (laughs) You uh, I I can't see you. And they were hiding from God. Anytime you see hiddenness in the Bible... It's referring to something we are trying to hide ourselves from, hide ourselves from God or from someone else. Half-truths, inflated lives. We're fooling ourselves. We're deceiving ourselves. The text says that we are not practicing the truth. Sylvia Fraser uh, wrote a book called My Father's House. And in the book, she tells about um, uh, at her father's memorial service or his funeral, some of the tributes that were made to her father. This is what she writes. He was a man of prayer and regular habits, a Christian man who didn't smoke, didn't drink, who helped with the grocery shopping. That's a real man, right? A man who uh, never took the Lord's name in vain, a neighborly man who kept his snow shoveled and his leaves raked and his bills paid. But what Sylvia knew about her father was that he sexually molested her since she was four years old. He threatened her with the loss of her toys and the killing of her cat and sending her away to an orphanage if he ever brought into light what was hidden in darkness. Now, most of us don't have those kinds of stories, but those stories are real, and those stories are real for you and for me. Our darkness may not be as dark as Sylvia's father, but it is still darkness. And the only way out we find in 1 John 1, chapter 9, right? Verse 9. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and he is just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. That is the only way into the light, is that that confession, stepping out from the shadows like the beast, stepping out into the light of the love that he's experiencing now, stepping out and finding that there's something out here that's real, that's new. So John, and especially Jesus, wants to extend an invitation to you this morning. And that is to come out of hiding and to step into the light. To understand, John says, I want you to understand about life and about your life. And so this morning I'd like to paint a picture 
of what it looks like to step out of the shadows, step into the light, and some of the promises that are made in this text for you and for me. The first one is this. If you step out of darkness, out of the shadows, into the light, you will experience freedom. Freedom. You'll feel clean. You'll experience grace. And you'll know forgiveness. So in 1994... Um, I was with a friend, uh, and we went fishing. It was on my day off on Monday. We went fishing. Um, yes, in Minnesota, we found a place to go fishing. And, uh, you know, they say this place of 10,000 lakes. Actually, they did a recalculation. It's over 11,000 lakes. But we went fishing, and after fishing, my friend said, hey, do you mind if we stop by the casino? Now, I'd never been to a Minnesota casino. I'd been to Las Vegas once in my life, so this was not a thing for me. But I said, sure, let's, I'll go with you. And so we did, and I got a few quarters, and I started putting them in a machine, and, and in a little while, I, I won a jackpot, $1,000. Now, in 1994 money, in a pastor's salary money, that was a lot of money. And so that was exciting and exhilarating and thrilling, and I thought, man, this is awesome. And so I tried the blackjack table, and I tried here and there and like there. And so when we left the casino a few hours later, uh, I left with... $500. And when we got home, I told Sherry, I said, guess what, honey? We stopped the casino, I played a game, and I won $500. See, see, see what I'm saying? It's the beginning of deceit. It's the beginning of just kind of being in the darkness, the shadows, and of course that progressed, as you know my story, and over the next two and a half years, I became very involved in addictive gambling, which meant I had to be very deceptive to my wife my children were at this point gone away to college. I had to be deceptive to my church. And my life was lived in the shadows. In September 1997, uh, on a retreat, Sherry and I met with our this was a retreat for pastors in crisis. Uh, still, the church didn't know what was going on. And I confessed to my wife and to my counselor, Lewis McBurney, uh, that I was an addictive gambler. And uh, for the next year that begin a very slow process of transformation. For now, for the first time in two and a half years, I'm standing in the light, and it doesn't feel very good. It feels kind of condemning, right? And it feels a lot, a lot of shame, and that was on me. I, I was getting some of that from the church, but a lot of that I was just getting from myself. And, and I, stir, I started learning once again through my friend Jim Sundholm, who was my counselor, and uh, Gamblers Anonymous, and uh, other counseling, marriage counseling, and that first year, I learned, started learning again what it means to walk into the light, to be authentic. And I made an absolute decision then and there that if I was ever allowed to be a pastor again, that I wouldn't stand in the shadows. I would be authentic. People might be uncomfortable with that. They might not even like to go to my church because, well, some people don't like to hear about other people's shadows. I remember one time uh, my my counselor, Jim, said, uh, Dwayne, he said, um, I was telling him, you know what? Uh, yeah, I, it was me. It's my bad. It was on me. I was wrong. But you know, Sherry, and I listed some things, uh, you know, Sherry did that I thought were wrong. And, and the church, and, I li- and, and Jim said, well, he went like this, time out. He said, what you have done, you have forfeited the right to blame somebody else. You have forfeited the right to blame somebody else. Your sin is on your head. It's yours. You deal with it. 
right? That's part of coming into the light out of the shadows. The scripture tells us that blessed are those who mourn. I remember when I was driving, this was maybe now towards the end of it before I was uh, re- reordained, and I was listening on the radio. I was driving for Quicksilver as a courier. That's the job I had for those three years. And, and I was driving, and the song came on the radio, and it was Rivers of Mercy, Oceans of Grace. And I started crying so hard, I had to pull the car over to the side of the road. Blessed are those who mourn. Now that word mourn, there's nine different words in the Bible for the word mourn. But the word mourn that's used in Matthew chapter 5 is penthos, P-E-N-T-H-O-S. It's to externally express an internal sadness or brokenness. That's what I was doing. Externally expressing a brokenness within me. I quit pretending. I quit with half-truths and deceit. And I simply confessed my sin. There's some cleansing in this. There's some freedom in this. Uh, David, as you know, uh, this uh, amazing man of God for much of his life, was also a prodigious sinner. David, as you know, had uh, sex with Bathsheba, made sure that her husband was killed, married Bathsheba. All these things went on. And then his friend, (laughs) I mean, a real friend. Not the kind of friend that says, I'm not going to get involved. Not the kind of friend that says, if I say something to them, they won't like me, they won't be married. No, we're talking about a true friend. He was Nathan, the prophet. And Nathan said to David, he gave it, told him a story. He said, listen, you are the one in that story. You are the man who sins. You are the one. You know what happened to David after that? Listen to these words in Psalm 32. When I refused to confess my sin, David writes... My body wasted away. Those two and a half years that I was in addictive gambling, I gained 100 pounds, okay? When I refused to confess my sin, my body wasted away. And I groaned all day long. Day and night, your hand of discipline was heavy on me. My strength evaporated like water in the summer heat. Finally, (laughs) David writes, I confessed all my sins to you and stopped trying to hide my guilt. I said to myself, I will confess my rebellion to the Lord and you forgave me and all my guilt is gone. Now, what kind of freedom do you find in that? You forgave me and all my sin is gone. When sin keeps us from stepping into the light, when we stay in the shadows and then we finally step out of the shadows into the light, there's the sense of freedom and cleanness and grace and forgiveness. That's the first promise that we see in this text. You will experience freedom. The next thing is this. You will experience, you will find new friends. Now, I guarantee you, uh, when you become authentic with someone else, um, you're going to lose some friends. Because partly they're going to think you're a creep because you did something or you said something or you were something. And part of it is they just don't want to hang around you because your authenticity drives them nuts because they know that they are living in the shadows. I remember when I first started at Grace, actually when I was your interim pastor for a a month when David was on uh, sabbatical two summers ago. And I remember um, I shared shared my story and uh, I had three 
people in the church that approached me and said, man, I, I've got a similar story. I've got a story about addiction or about this or that or the other. And there's something about um, stepping into the light. You recognize new friends. I have a friend, Mark Sullivan, who is in my church at Hope, who is a veteran AA guy, 30 years sober, and, uh, but a tremendous child of God. And he said that he and his wife sometimes go to a Bible study, uh, a small group, and no one's authentic. Everybody just said, okay, this is what the Bible says. Great, now we know what the Bible says. Okay, let's have coffee and go home. He says, we want to know what happens when we don't do what the Bible says. When we mess up, when we step back into the shadows, what do we do then? Uh, Who do we go to? How do we confess it? What do we do? And he said, nobody's honest with it. Now, here's something. Now, I don't go to AA now, but I'm a real proponent of AA and GA and NA and all of those, and I'll tell you why. First of all, they were all based on biblical principles. But there's something about an AA meeting that's absolutely real. And some of you know that because some of you are AA people. Something authentic. You come in there and say, my name is Dwayne and I am a gambler. My name is Dwayne and I am an alcoholic. There's something real. The mask comes off and all of a sudden there's this connection with people. Now we don't, we don't define ourselves as being addictive, but we know that we have this common ability to sin and we need to each other's strength to get through it. I remember one time I was in a casino and I saw another covenant pastor that I knew and we, we, our eyes met and you can't believe how fast our eyes went away from each other. Never talked to him. Actually, I tried to after I got better. I tried to, but he would never answer my calls. But you will find new friends. First John 1, 7, but we walk, when we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. God's dream for the church is to be like AA, to be real, authentic. We come together knowing that we are a band of sinners saved by grace and we still love each other and we support each other. We don't shoot our wounded. We don't throw them under the bus. We take care of each other. That should be the church. That's real, authentic church. Dietrich Bonhoeffer said, he who is alone with his sin is utterly alone. So one of the promises I can make you today because John makes it and Jesus stamps on it is you will find new friends. The next is this. You will experience the gentleness of God. Romans 8.1, there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. You know what's weird? All that two and a half years that I was gambling, I never felt condemned by God. I felt condemned by Duane every day. I felt shame, I felt guilt, all of that. But so many times I would be driving home from the casino just pouring out my heart saying, God, forgive me, help me not to go back again. And I would hear the voice of God say something, I love you, I'm here, just come back to me. No condemnation, I'm not shaming you, I'm not telling you you're bad, just come back to me, step back to me. You will experience the gentleness of God. David said, your hand is heavy upon me no more. My guilt is gone. There's something so wonderful when we, love, when we experience that gentleness, that beauty, that love relationship of God. It's the story of the prodigal son in Luke 15, isn't it? 
the son that was so grievously sinful against his father and his family and his brother. He was so self-centered. He was so hiding in the shadows in the darkness. And he comes back with his tail between the legs. And the father, the Bible says, comes running to him with his arms wide open. Not, come, not walking out to him like this. I told you so, son. I told you if you do this, you're going to screw up. I told you this wasn't the way to go. None of that. But these arms that are wide open. When you step out from the darkness and the shadows into the light, you will experience the gentleness of God. Your loving Heavenly Father, welcome home. Welcome home. Uh, During our Christmas season this year, I'm going to do a series of messages, all of them under the title, Come Home home for Christmas. Come Home for Christmas. Because a lot of people out there, the only time, they're what we call Christers, right? Christmas and Easter, you know. Uh, they'll, 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 they'll show up out here. They'll show up at our church online. They'll show up for Christmas. And, and there's not going to be condemnation. There's not going to be, oh, you shouldn't have left the church 20 years ago when something bad happened. No. Welcome home. Come home to Jesus. Come home to the church. Come home to Hesed, the fellowship of the church. There's another promise that we find here, and it's this. Not only will God's gentleness be seen in your life, God will make you gentle. The people that are the most condemning, the people that are the most shaming, the people that are the bullhorn guys and the people yelling and screaming are the ones that live in the shadows all their lives. I've seen this a hundred times in my life. People that are the most you shouldn't and you're bad and you're going to hell and all of that, they have secrets that you could not believe. God will make you gentle. When you come out of the light, when you experience the grace and the mercy and the peace, the shalom that has said of God, when you experience that, you are then ready because you're filled with that, you are ready to give that to someone else. So many people are identifying ways to show you how bad you are. But the flip side is that one of the easiest ways not to look inside of you is to always look outside of you to judge someone else. Matthew 7, judge not lest you be judged. You've heard me preach on this. 2 Corinthians, we are called to hold each other accountable, to judge each other, right? But we are not called to judge the world. Why would we hold them to a standard of Jesus when they haven't signed off on a standard of Jesus? Why would we, why would we say, well, why do, you do, why do you behave like that? Well, they behave like that because that's what non-believers behave like, right? But we are called to said. We are called to love. Not to judge each other harshly, harshly, but to judge them with truth and love. So uh, Sherry and I go to a good friend of ours. He was in our church at Hope. Uh, Bob Brown is our dentist. Really good dentist. And um, I, 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 when I first went to Bob, I said, okay, uh, you, know, you know, tell me the bad news. I'd been a long time since I'd been to the dentist. He said, well, he said, there's a couple ways we can do this, Dwayne. And he's a funny guy. He said, I can tell you how disgusting the inside of your mouth looks, okay? And there's some cavities here and there's some things growing over here and there's stuff like that. I, I can do that and then fix it. Or I can say... Um, you know what? You're good. I don't want to hurt your feelings. I don't want to say anything bad. So 
you're good to go. So I don't, I'm not going to do anything, right? So just let you go, right? How many believers do that with their friends? Oh, you're, you're good to go. You're having an affair, and I know it, but you're good to go, okay? No problem, just go. Then there's the, there's the way Bob does it. He said, listen, I'm going to speak the truth to you, but I'm going to do it with gentleness, right? Hey, we can take care of this. I mean, you've got a thing going on over here, and you've got something here, and we're going to take care of this today and that today, and, uh, and then I'm going to teach you how to floss, you know? <laughs> and you do that with gentleness, not condemning. I mean, we've got to take the log out of our own eye first before we see the speck in somebody else's eye. God has promised us that we will be gentle. Now, uh, there's this, you've seen it on television, and you see it on posters around casinos, and it's that good-looking 50-something man, you know, the unshaven look, you know, the little gray in his hair that says what? You do you, right? Which is the most stupid thing anyone has ever said, right? What he means is, nobody's going to tell. You come to the casino, you live like an idiot, you live like a heathen, you do whatever you want to do. You just do you. John would say this another way. When it comes to confession and dealing with your sin, you do you. Before you worry about doing somebody else, you do you. So God will bring his gentleness into your life when you step into the light and then you will be gentle as well. And then here's another promise that God makes. You'll become like a child again. You step into the light, it's like the fountain of youth. Uh, Did you know that children are kind of naturally afraid of the dark, which is kind of weird because they've been in utero for nine months, right? But once they assimilate to the light, they get kind of afraid of dark. You know how kids are always afraid of the dark, you know? What's going on? You know, it's like the little boy who, he, he, he did something naughty. And uh, his mom said, okay, okay, you're going to be punished. And you come here. And the little boy just skirt, ran off, right? Ran up into his room, slid under his bed. He was going to hide from his mom under the bed, right? So dad gets home from work a few minutes later. Mom explains what happened. Dad says, listen, you've had to deal with these kids all day, you know, because of COVID, of course. And uh, so let me, let me take care of this. So the dad goes upstairs, the little boy's room, trying to be a really good loving father, gets down on the floor, slides under the bed, and the little boy says, Daddy, is Mommy after you too? So sometimes we have to get out of the darkness, right? Out of the shadows and just kind of be like a child again. I, when our, our youngest son, Tyler, was a little guy, uh, we'd play hide and seek sometimes. And he was awful at it uh, because he'd always want you to find him. <laughs> you know? I'm here. I'm here. No, no, see, Tyler, the idea is that you hide and let somebody else... You know, Oh, okay, I got it. I got, you know, it's like three or four years old. I got it. Now, I mean, I'm here. You know, but there's something honest about a child. Did you do that? When they're little, they say yes. Then they learn that if somehow they don't tell you the truth, they get away with it for a little while. So we kind of introduce to our children this idea of lying and living in the shadows. And, you know, like a, a toddler, a little boy especially, hides behind the couch when he does little number two, right? You know, they're always hiding in the shadows. I don't want you to know what's going on here, you know. But we, 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 they learn to hide. But when they're little, they're so open and honest. And the world is beautiful. And yes, I did that, Mommy. I'm sorry. I don't want to, but can I? Can a God restore that childlike innocence in us? Matthew 18, unless you become like little children, you won't enter the kingdom. There's something about 
childlike innocence, a transparent soul when you're invited into the light. And then one last promise, and uh, this one really matters. If you step into light, you will become light. The beast became light. You remember the end of that movie? I don't know if it was in this one or the cartoon when Sherry would know, where it shows him when he's starting to turn into a prince, they're dancing, the rose petal drops, they're dancing, and doesn't light kind of shoot into, yeah, right? His fingers and his toes and like that. And that's a beautiful image of what John is talking about. You step into the light. In his case, you step into the love of Bell. You step into this eternal love, this evermore love, and it's so wonderful, and light shines. That's what God is inviting you into, and you will become light. One of my uh, associate pastors, uh, his name was Brad Kindle, now serves a church in Minnesota. Um, Brad did a sermon one time in our church when we were still in the strip, strip mall, and uh, he had this kind of broken, cracked uh, vessel. I think it was a, a pitcher uh, made of clay, but it had cracks in it and had some breaks in it and everything. And, and, and he put a candle inside of it, and uh, he showed two, one a perfect uh, vessel and one that was cracked and broken. He lit the perfect one, and it gave off this really nice aura, this nice light. But when he lit the cracked and broken vessel, <laughs> the light streamed out of it through the cracks, through the brokenness, through the places that weren't so even or good or nice. God wants to take all of your brokenness he wants to forgive it like he did David. He wants to cleanse you from all unrighteousness like he promised all of us in 1 John 1, 9. And he wants to shine through you, radiate through you, illuminate your marriage, your workplace, your church, your school. People will be drawn to you, the light that is in you. Brothers and sisters in Christ, I promise you, if you have courage and faith to come out from hiding into the light and experience this goodness and graciousness this is said of God, you will find freedom. You'll feel clean. You'll experience grace. You'll know forgiveness. You will find authentic community. You'll experience the gentleness of God. You will become gentle. You will become a child again, and you will become light because this is all of this is the relentless tenderness of Jesus. You are invited into the light. Would you bow your heads with me? Father, um, there are times when we don't even intend to. It just kind of happens. We fall into it. We start deceiving ourselves a little bit and then we deceive someone else and then we deceive you or at least we think we do. And then we find ourselves kind of justifying that behavior and we, we find ourselves uh, judging others harshly for things that they do and, and we find us hiding our stuff. Father, you have invited us into the light this morning. And Lord, I don't know the hearts of everyone in our church today. I don't know the hearts of everyone listening in today online. But I do know this as a human being. We've all been there. And many of us are there right now. And so, Father, this invitation comes from you. The one who has no darkness in him at all. You are inviting us to step into the light. It could be painful, a little bit embarrassing, but you're inviting us to step out from the shadows 
into the light of Jesus and experience that freedom. So Father, I just want to give our congregation, both online and here in person, a, a, a moment, a moment to be honest with you. Because that confession starts with you. And Lord, help us just to be honest, just to be bare before you. Lord, this is our prayer. Thank you, Father, for hearing our prayers. And I declare the truth of your word by the power of the Holy Spirit. If you confess your sins, he is faithful and just to forgive you and to cleanse you from all unrighteousness. We thank you in the powerful name of Jesus.